So I'd like to, um, to continue exploring the, the theme of, of gratitude um, together, following on from the, the exercise today and all the, the wisdom that was shared um, within the group. And when I was reflecting um, on gratitude, it felt uh, to me, and Jean touched on it, that in many ways the first um, step of gratitude is often actually to, to, to stop and pause and be and uh, acknowledge what is, what is here, you know, which is what we're doing all the time in our practice. Um, and yet such an important thing to do. You know, you can just keep on remembering to do that. And often, um, you know, what is required of us there is, is to accept the things that we don't want, actually. You know, so we're speaking about gratitude, but often the first step of that, or the second step, or whatever, however way you want to break the steps down into is, is actually the, the acknowledgement of that which isn't what we want or isn't the way we want it. Or you know, if we put it you know, quite coarsely, the fact that shit happens. And that's kind of very, very interconnected to, to gratitude. It's actually that acknowledgement of that which we're not grateful for or don't want or don't like. And, you know, this is so important because that allows us to actually be with what is. And that allows then healing to happen and opening. You know, that came up today. As people were speaking about gratitude, that sense of opening to something, openness. And that ongoing exploration that we're exploring through um, practice, which is um, not only what is there, but actually how am I relating to what is arising in my life, internally and externally. How, do I, how am I relating? How do I relate to it? Which is actually where a lot of the possibility, another thing that was came up today, the possibility and the potential, a lot of it is actually there in transforming the relationship. And I recently um, read uh, something about a word that is a very key word in, in the Buddhist teaching, Sama, which is um, a core word in the Eightfold Path. It comes before every limb, you know, um, and it's usually translated as right. Yeah? Right view, right intention, right action, right livelihood. It's usually translated as right, this word Sama. But what it actually means, and I'm trusting that I read it online, I'm trusting that this is correct. I haven't double checked. But it's beautiful anyway, even if it's not true. <laughs> what it actually means is that um, is, this word sama means balanced or um, together in harmony. So balanced or together in harmony. So, you know, if we, if we think, I'm not going to go into the age from the past today, but if we think in, in context of the past, the difference between saying, you know, right view or right action and, and, and kind of balanced, balanced view, balanced action. Um, or something that's actually coming together in harmony. And that's in balance, something that's in, in, in harmony. And it feels like, you know, this, this way of uh, understanding, this word sama, feels much more in tune with the Buddha's teaching than the word right. Yeah, much more in tune with with the Buddhist teaching, which is so precious in its um, exploration of the middle way, its exploration of, of actually the sense of of harmony, which is a harmony that's inclusive of all aspects of human experience. Yeah, it's inclusive of all of that. Or another um, way of saying that is, you know, the Buddha very much recognized in a very fundamental way and encouraged us to explore and to open and to recognize that life consists both of things that we like and things that we don't like, of 
suffering and of freedom. Very much consists, it has this diversity of experience. And again, when we reflect on the exercise today, and people, you know, just a few words, I remember, you know, Brian saying, you know, feeling grateful for spikes, you know, and, and other people also mention that, you know, also that, that gratitude for, for the edges, for the challenges, for the difficulties. And so that real, um, you know, that practice is really about finding the balance within the mix of, of our reality. And sometimes our reality, you know, may have more challenges, more difficulties. And yet we can still find that place of balance within that, that place of harmony within that. So that balance, that harmony, that's within life. You know, it's not even a balance of, it's a balance within within life, within, you know, the things that challenge us and require resources and then the, the joy and the wonder that is there. So, I think more and more uh, in Dharma teachings we speak about practicing gratitude and gratitude being a practice and, and what does that actually mean? Or what kind of what areas does it cover? And again, I think today as people were speaking, we could really get the sense of, of all the flavors that gratitude as a practice can have. You know, from that sense of um, you know being grateful for you know what we could talk about as the big things, you know, being alive. <laughs> you know, or you know the fact that the sun is shining, you know, big. And then practicing gratitude within kind of what we might call the immediate. You know, the right, right here, tangible, you know, this breath, you know, this sound, this sensation, that just right now, just right now. So kind of that movement, also that balance or that harmonization between the really kind of big picture of what it means to be alive and then the very tangible moment-to-moment experiences. Am I making sense so far? Okay, just checking. And so as we, you know, a a really um, fruitful, interesting um, aspect of gratitude practice is to, to also turn the attention as we're doing that, as we're opening to what happens within us, what happens to the citta, to the heart mind as we open to, to gratitude. And again, people were, were speaking about it today. I think that was uh, soft, is a word that came up, soft, open, um, warmth, spark. You know, there's all these, and this is really, you know, so valuable to notice. How does, how does different modes of practice, how do they affect the heart-mind? Or if it's easier, just using chitta or, or mind states, you know, whatever feels applicable. How does it affect that? And so, you know, all of this, it's um, gratitude practice can be, can be, doesn't have to be, but it can be uh, very powerful and very accessible for us. Very powerful, very, very accessible, very immediate. And so, you know, I was just saying that it's, it's, it's kind of coming, it feels like it's taking more of a central space in, in um, Dharma teachings nowadays. And yet, you know, it's something that the Buddha also spoke about a lot. Spoke about a lot. So it's not a new invention of kind of modern, modern New Age Dharma teachers. And some of the ways that he spoke about it, um, which are very beautiful, one was um, he spoke about the preciousness of, of, having, of having a human life. Um, and he used to speak about that a lot, you know, just that, and again, we touched on it today, just that the preciousness of having the conditions 
you know, this, the being alive, being healthy enough, having a safe place. You know, just all these, all these, you know, having a human life, not just a human life, but a human life that has these conditions in it. Sometimes just reflecting on that, not as a um, my friend Caroline, who's one of the guy house teachers. She often, when she speaks about this, she remembers, you know, from her childhood, and it's not that kind of gratitude of you know, eat your food because there's starving kids in in Africa. You know, that's not not that's not what we're talking about. It's not that, not like something that creates guilt, but actually opening to the preciousness. To the vat, to, to you know, how precious is this that we have safety, that we have nourishment, that all of this is there for us. And there's a beautiful image um, that's used in the Buddhist tradition about this this preciousness of conditions. And again, to listen to it, with, to listen to this with lightness and humor, and not from the guilt mechanism. <laughs> That the Buddha apparently said that a, a human um, rebirth is so precious and so rare um, that it's it's as rare as um, the likelihood of a blind turtle swimming in the sea that comes up to the surface once in a hundred years. The likelihood of, of that blind turtle coming up and what was it getting its head through? There's a yolk floating on the yeah. sea. It's the idea of the turtle coming up and actually pulling its head. Its head through that. Yeah. So that's that's apparently <laughs> the image that, that's used to just give us a, a sense of, of the freshness. But we actually don't need that image, you know, I think we can connect to it within ourselves, you know, how how precious it is to, to be alive. And another um, phrase that, 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 that the Buddha used in the text is, is the gladdening of the heart. So gladdening of the heart um, through reflections on um, the circumstances that have brought us to practice. So you know, the gladdening of the heart through the reflection on, and again, this, was, this came up today in different ways. The circumstances, all the circumstances that have brought us to practice, that have motivated and are motivated motivating us to practice. And when we do that, immediately that sense of balance comes in. Because when we reflect on you know, the circumstances that have brought us to practice, that keep bringing us to practice, you know, some of them are pleasant and some of them are unpleasant. (laughs) You know, some of them are things that, you know, we we want to happen to us and some of them are things that, you know, some of the painful things in our lives and the distressing things in our, in our lives are, are part of what gives us the fuel. So, you know, again, it's that balance that comes in. And I was remembering, um, I hope that I haven't shared this example in any of the talks you've heard. If I have, then you'll forgive me <laughs> for my repetition. But um, one of the strongest examples that I've had of this in my life is um, from a very close friend of mine, one of my childhood friends, um, who, when we were uh, 15, um, injured his spine in, a, in, a, in an accident, dived into a pool. And um, as, a, as a result, he's, he's, he's paralyzed. He's a quadriplegic, so he's paralyzed from around the chest area down. And... Um, about ten years later, ten years after this happened, um, he had a dream one night, and, and this dream was a really uh, it was a real transformative moment for him because in the dream itself he realized that he was dreaming about himself, so the dream self was also in a wheelchair, and that was now who he was. And when he woke up, this really triggered a whole, you know, a, a process of a lot of reflection about his life. And his conclusion was that if he had the power to go back 10 years and change that moment when he dived into the shallow end of the pool, he wouldn't do it. Because who he was 
who he was included that event. And he could see, you know, all the blessings and all the, everything that had um, unfolded from that, you know, very difficult event and, and all the circumstances that followed on from it. So that was a really, um, and he wasn't a, you know, a depressed person before that anyway, but it was, that was a real crucial moment and I really remember that and I remember that it made me, you know, 25, made me reflect on my life and think, actually, that's true, you know, that the most, some of the most difficult things that happened to me. It doesn't mean that, you know, we need to feel that way about everything, but for myself, some of the most difficult things that have happened to me have really contributed to also some of the most beautiful and most profound. So seeing that balance again. So this practice of gratitude or attitude of opening to gratitude, we can say, really um, opens up this, this sense of balance and kind of a wide view, wide view of our lives, wide and deep. And it also uh, really brings us to often to a direct experience of interconnectedness. You know, in, in this example that I gave, the interconnectedness of events and of the development of a human life, that that thing, you know, which was very painful, is actually part of also all these things that are not painful. And also leads us to a direct experience of our interconnectedness with each other and with nature, you know, which again came up very strongly today. You know that sense of gratitude to others, that sense of gratitude to the earth, the sun, the trees, whatever it is, the sky. And it also really deepens within us this this knowing that we have, this understanding that we have that um, there's a larger context a larger context to my story whatever that is, it's a larger context it's not, that is going on but it's within something it's being held within something larger so sometimes and I I, I don't think I've said this yet, to really kind of break down or open up what this practice of gratitude is. You know, sometimes it's an intentional practice, like we were doing this afternoon. We actually intentionally open up to that and look at it and question, what am I grateful for? And sometimes it's um, a natural unfolding that comes through as we live, and particularly as we pay attention to our lives. Yeah, it's just a natural unfolding. It just naturally comes up as a part of that process. I want to kind of give an example of this from another friend. And um, this happened just a few weeks ago on the, on the trekking retreat that I was teaching in the, in the Himalayas. And um, one of the people there, who's, who's an old friend of mine, she, um, you know, we set up in the morning, fairly early, 7.30 I think, the late morning for that event. And um, we're walking through this very, very beautiful forest, but... She was feeling incredibly, she was feeling very tired, very tired. It's probably day eight or nine of the train. She was feeling really tired. And that whole first part of the walk, that's all she was feeling, <laughs> really tired. And then the, the mind was coming in and saying, how am I going to do it? You know, full day's walk. I'm too tired. How am I going to cope? What's going to happen? <laughs> and a lot of worry and misery in that experience and, um, and then we stopped to, to have a 10 minute rest after about 45 or 50 minutes of walking and um, as she she sat she, you know, sat down to rest 
she remembered um, something that I had said, I think the day before, in a Dharma talk. So you see, sometimes what I say is useful in Dharma talks, occasionally. So there's hope yet. Ten months. Let's see. So she remembered something that I'd said, and I'd, I'd, I'd used a phrase um, in relationship to this opening to the difficulty, which was dying into life. I used this phrase of just, can we die into life? In these moments when it feels like it's too much, whatever it is, can we just die into life? And she remembered the phrase, and with the remembering of the phrase, the question rose in her, like, what would it mean? You know, right now, here I am, I'm trapped in this walk, (laughs) I can't stop. I can't go back because the camp doesn't exist anymore. Got to keep going. I'm trapped. So, what would it mean in this in this moment right now with the conditions? What would it mean to die into life? And the response that came from within was, "What if I just let myself be the earth? If I just let myself? We're working a lot with the elements, so." Just be the earth. Let go into the earth. What would happen? And so she she just tried that. Just kind of that process of the question coming and dropping in and that response coming. And as she relaxed into the earth and just had that, just be the earth, be the earth, her experience shifted. Experience shifted. And from that sense of struggle, and tiredness, and I can't do this. It was just resting into the earth, and you know, the bell went, and we got up, and we carried on walking. And for the rest of that day, it's quite a few more hours of walking that day, it's fairly long. She didn't feel tired, she didn't feel at her edge anymore because she just kept coming into that being the earth, being the earth, dying into life. And what arose was actually a sense of wonder, of joy, of connection, yeah, connection to, to the environment that we were walking through, um, and of gratitude. You know, just gratitude, which didn't actually have a specific direction. You know, it wasn't gratitude to her, it wasn't gratitude to me, it wasn't gratitude to the trees, it was just gratitude. You know, very. Again, people have touched on it today without a specific direction. So that real sense of interconnection, interconnection and gratitude that dissolves the separation of ideas and of, of beings. So this kind of opening to gratitude can really become a resource for us. That's can really be a resource, that interest in life, that questioning, that opening to what gratitude can bring in. And very much emphasizing again, you know, that it's not about the denial of the difficult. You know, it's not a gratitude that denies the difficult or ignores it or shuts the door on it and puts it in the cellar but actually together with, in balance with, in harmony with. And it becomes a support, becomes a support for meeting the difficult, support for meeting the difficult, with an open heart. And I, I want at this point to also kind of pull out what Jane said today about that meeting and the interwoven nature of joy, of metta, and of gratitude. And, and there's other qualities that can also weave into that. You know, but just seeing that, sometimes seeing that. And how when we nourish one, we open one, we're actually opening up the whole field for that. So how to deepen this practice um, even more? Just a couple of, of suggestions, how we can kind of doorways to deepening the practice. 
So one, which has kind of, I think, been a little bit um, obvious in what I've said, but just to really put it out, is to um, acknowledge and to open to appreciation, not only when things are going well, but also when things are difficult, also when things are difficult or challenging. So right in the midst of feeling, you know, might be feeling physically or emotionally stretched, you know, physically or emotionally at our edge, and actually then seeing if it's possible to also open to that. Um, and very much in that way, like dropping in a question. Like, what, what can I be grateful for right now? Or what, um, what warms my heart? Or what softens my being? You, know, you can find your ways of, of doing that. And, and it's possible, you know, there can be quite extreme examples. Um, you know, even an emotion like anger, which is so strong, we can feel angry, and yet with practice we can ask ourselves, okay, even in this anger, which is playing itself out in the body and the mind, sometimes even in action and speech, it's playing itself out, but even within that, what can I be grateful for? Yeah, what can I be grateful for? And you know, sometimes something as simple as actually having a mind that can recognize anger. You know, that's an incredible thing. Yeah. Having the capacity to reflect during or after. So just, it's like as if we're opening up the, the, the experience of being human more, more. And seeing more layers, more aspects of our experience. So that's one way of, of deepening the gratitude practice. And, and the second, which I've already touched on, is actually opening to a consciously appreciate, consciously appreciate, and recollect, remember both the beings and all the factors that um, have been or are supportive, and particularly doing that on the spot, <laughs> so in, in situations, a bit like Tom Lynn practice, on the spot practice. You know, so it can be, um, you know, we're in a situation which we find really, really challenging. I mean, the classic one, as an example, is, you know, sitting in traffic, things that pushes our buttons, you know, being stuck in traffic somewhere. I grew up in a city, so it's quite a strong experience of my past, being stuck in traffic and how frustrating that can be. And yet, what if in that moment, you know, stuck in traffic, all the conditioned responses are arising with that, you know, the sense of impatience, the sense of annoyance, um, all of that, of wanting to not be here but be at the destination. And then what happens if I consciously bring in, even in that moment, you know, here I am sitting in traffic, and yet what is it that I can be grateful for? Not just generally in my life, but within the situation right now, within the situation right now. You know, there's probably someone somewhere, right as I'm sitting in this traffic jam, is actually trying to resolve this issue. You know, how often do we bring these people to mind? Someone somewhere, they might not be doing a good job. They might be kind of having very long-term plans that are only going to take effect in a few decades. But they're trying, you know, there's someone somewhere trying to do that. There's other people who are in the same predicament. So just taking, taking that into account. And having for all of this the underlying motivation that we want to see things clearly, the underlying motivation. So I'm not just doing this to um, make the situation more bearable, because someone said, you know, gratitude practice is a good idea. But doing this out of that underlying motivation to see clearly, to see life clearly, to understand, and to take it less personally. To take it less personally. 
So as we're, you know, as we're doing these kind of, you know, all this spectrum of, of practices or of opening to this quality in our lives, as we're doing that, we're really um, both transforming things often in, in the moment, but we're also cultivating more uh, nourishing ways of being over the long term. More nourishing ways of being over the long term. Just um, yeah, India is a great teacher for these kind of situations of opening to gratitude. And I was just remembering, just popped into my mind, um, experience I had many years ago. Um, so I was getting onto a train, and it was really crowded to, to get onto the train. And I was wearing Crocs, and as I got onto the train. <laughs> one of my crocs fell off my foot and went down into the gap between uh, the train and the platform. And I just, you know, thought, okay, that's it, you know. Fortunately for me, that's not my only pair of footwear, so, you know, that's the end of of my crocs. But um, the people who were behind us on the train, they wouldn't give up. They, they did all kinds of crazy things, including lowering a small child into the gap <laughs> to try and get that crop out. And it was just such a shift of perspective, such a shift of perspective. And eventually they even, um, they did manage to pull it out with a stick or something, I can't remember, and I actually got it back. And it, it felt like the experience was much more, much more precious than the crock. You know, that experience of that generosity and that different way of looking at things um, was so was so valuable and I'll add I'll throw in that even up when once we sat down in the train um, we realized that in that whole kind of happening we'd been pickpocketed and our wallet had been stolen <laughs> it was just the wallet it wasn't anything it wasn't passports or anything like that and it just felt it just felt so trivial you know, within that, it didn't even, you know, because there was so much gratitude for that generosity, you know, that was kind of more than we, you know, yeah, I didn't care about that clock so much, but that generosity of people was so overwhelming. There was such a sense of gratitude that that, you know, that someone within that had also you know, slipped their hand into a pocket and taken all that. It just didn't, had no impact. And that's kind of like the power that it has, and as we practice this, then we, we really nourish that kind of sense in ourselves, and of opening to what is actually here and precious and supportive, and the the, the tricky, the difficult, the you know unpleasant just has less, just sticks less. It has less ground to root into, and so. Um, my, my beloved friend Rob, who many of you heard of know, you know, he uses this language about cultivating ways of looking at life through practice, um, which really you know, change our experience because they change our relationship to experience. And so, you know, cultivating ways of looking that actually lead to more happiness and less suffering, to more expansion and less identification. So I just wanted to throw that in, in there. And that example that just popped into my head, you know, is an example of the external creating that, you know, wasn't, we, I, we didn't do anything, <laughs> it was around us. But then what happens if, if the being is full of gratitude, if the being is full of gratitude, then the negative doesn't have such an impact. And that's kind of what the ways of looking that we cultivate of generosity and gratitude and kindness of meta, um, of clear seeing, of non-self, you know, they can really, in permanence, they can really shift, shift our lives. So one question that can arise and is worth um, looking at a little bit, you know, I've been plugging gratitude here. Um, and if, if it's so valuable if it's so precious uh, if it feels so good 
um, and is so helpful, why, why isn't it a bigger part of our lives? Why don't we do it more? Why is it sometimes really difficult for us, actually? As some people were sharing, honestly, it's difficult to kind of open to it or, or bring ourselves to it. And the first thing I would say, this, I would really recommend exploring that for yourself a little bit. With, with interest and kindness. So what, why is it that it can be difficult to do or that we don't do it more naturally? And some of the common patterns, and again, I'm, I'm going to say a couple of common patterns, but it's not, your homework is still your homework to, to look for yourselves. Just kidding, not homework, but the invitation is still to explore for yourself. Um, one common pattern is that we we often, um, especially I think in, in our in our modern societies, we're very much in a problem-solving kind of mode of operation. You know, we look at life, and it's about solving the problems. Um, and if that's the mode of operation, then it's the gratitude doesn't come into that very smoothly. You know, because we're just we're in this of okay, what what could be done better? Um, what could I um, work out? What could I solve? What? And so we, we're, we're naturally seeing the problems. See what needs fixing. Um, the other is that the mind, interestingly enough, often um, doesn't find things that are going well as interesting as things that are going on not, not so well. You know, it's less stimulating. So that's, that's a functionality of the mind, um, which... Um, you know, which has um, you know cultural reasons that apparently go back to our hunter-gatherer days. Um, often spoken about as the negativity bias that many people probably have heard of, or that phrase of um, you know the the negative things are like Velcro; they you know the mind sticks to them, and the positive are like Teflon; they just <laughs> just don't, don't take them in. Um, and apparently, you know, this goes back to, yeah, hunter-gatherer days when, in order to survive, it was much more important to notice the, the dangers and the risks um, rather than what was going, you know, the fact that it was a beautiful day or, you know, the beautiful flowers or whatever it is that was around. Um, so a big part of our practice is actually to, to rebalance, you know, going back to that word summer of balance. It's about rebalancing uh, the mind, because for us as modern humans, that kind of approach isn't actually what is needed. It's not actually what is needed. We're, we are predominantly safe, and so actually, what we need is to to, to rebalance that and to to look for um, risk or problems less, and actually to to balance that with well-being and what is going well and what we can appreciate and rejoice in. And so it's a real mind training. It's a real mind training. And again, we can really be grateful that our mind is trainable, you know, which it is. You know, that's what meditation practice is actually based on, that basic fact that everything changes, including the mind. And we can affect, we can affect the way it changes and how it changes. So just a couple of more, couple more things. One is um, something that also came up this afternoon. Um, I think Joe actually mentioned the words, and it was also very strong in what Mariana was saying: gratitude and grace, gratitude and grace. And they actually, these two words actually come from the same Latin root, gratis. So they come from the same, the very strong connection. Um, and the Latin means um, pleasing, something that is pleasing, or the quality of feeling thankful or grateful. And so at the very um, essence of it, and again it was said today by, by some of you, the very essence of it is that grace for actually having a conscious life. You know, the grace of having a conscious life, which is grace. You know, none of us knowingly chose this or did anything ourselves to make this possible. You know, and yet we have, we were born into this possibility. 
of living consciously, of having a, a mind that knows experience, that has the capacity to know experience. And so connecting to that, connecting to the fact that, you know, right now we are alive. We are alive. And we have a conscious mind. And we don't know for how long that's going to last. There are no guarantees. So connecting to that from the sense of wonder. And I think Palmer used the word cherishing yesterday. Cherishing that. Cherishing that. And the more we open to that, the more we open to that, you know, the grace and the, the gratitude for having this conscious ability. The more um, our practice evolves from gratitude for what I have into um, gratitude for what we have. More selfless gratitude or gratitude that isn't just focused on the narrower sense of self. So that shift from self concern to life concern, from self centered to life centered, kind of a natural unfolding of really deepening gratitude. Of course, you know, this is what we've been doing together for all these months. All of everything that I've described, <coughs> but particularly that interest in that shift, with that unfolding, and as this deepens, you know, as this process comes into our lives more and more consciously, of that shift from self-concern to life concern. We actually need less external things to be happy. And I think this is something that we've been feeling for just the last 24 hours. What do I actually need to be happy? And it can just be enough that life is. You know, that life is, whether it's here or in a bluebell. Life is the fact that others are whether it's these other beings who've shared this process with us for so many months, or the lambs in the other field, the birds, just that that rejoicing that others are. And that joy and well-being exist in this life, alongside or in balance with, in harmony with, suffering and difficulty. And that we are able to be, that we are able to be, and to witness life, and to be in service of life. So I'd like to end with um, a couple of quotes from this wonderful book that I'm pretty sure was in the original reading list, if you anyone remembers, called How Can I Help a Bible? And so, um, this book, if you haven't seen it, it's it's made up of a lot of kind of um, personal accounts of of different anonymous people um, about their service work. And then it's got kind of commentary by Ram Das and Paul Goldman. So this is part of the commentary, talking a little bit about service. It will always serve to stay grounded in humble respect for all that is involved in the work to relieve suffering. A compassion for ourselves, which is the source of compassion for all others. Whatever helpful hints for support and freedom we come upon must be tested against daily practice. We will slip and fall again and again. 
The need to see suffering relieved is an essential ingredient of our humanity. Of our humanity. Inevitably, we will feel the poignance and despair that arise and those occasions when affliction is not eased. Indeed, it grows and spreads, despite all our efforts. The pain of the world will break our hearts because we can no longer keep them closed. To some degree or other, we have surrendered into service and are willing to pay the price of compassion. And here comes the balance. But with it comes the joy of a single caring act. With it comes the honour of participating in a generous process in which one rises each day and does what one can. With it comes the simple, singular grace of being an instrument of love in whatever form, to whatever end. And then I want to read a, another piece which is a short um, testimony or a short story from someone. And he or she say, We had just finished a six-week study tour of Kenya's major game parks, but our American college group had in many ways passed over what was most important to us, the people. So a friend and I set out on our own, feeling our way along the less-travelled roads for the pulse points, the individual lives and feelings of the Kenyan people. A journey took us to the small town of Kitale, and while resting our packs near the local market, a man simply walked up to us and introduced himself as Pastor Joseph. We discovered that he was a Christian minister working in an area 200 miles north of that town, where a drought had incarcerated the land and its people for three years. Pastor Joseph had collected some 500 children who were entirely dependent upon him for their sustenance and shelter. We travelled with him up into the drought area to help him and to learn more about his work. Although we spent five days with him, a few moments tell the story. On our last night in that region, we were served a supper by Joseph's friends and told that he would return much later. He had disappeared at noon, carrying a coughing child across the desert. One small candle flame flickered across Joseph's face as he walked into the church late that night, carrying the same child now asleep in his arms. He gently laid the little one inside the door and came to sit beside us. Closing his eyes, he sat quietly for several moments, until his breathing became easier. He looked utterly exhausted, and he whispered, There is no tomorrow here. There is only today, and what God asks me to do today. Slowly his voice grew stronger. Today I found a child who needed to be taken for special care to a clinic seven miles away. So I took the child there. But when I arrived, I found that two of the children I had carried there a few days before had died. His voice maintained its level. So I will dig their graves tomorrow. And I am grateful to God that I can do that for these people. the gratitude of a single caring act. Gratitude for the grace of being an instrument of love in whatever form and to whatever end. So 
and let's just have a moment of silence to bring us to a place together. We continue to open to the balance of joy and gratitude within life in all its manifestations. May we continue to serve love in all its forms. in whatever way we can. And may our practice together continue to be for the welfare of all beings, the benefit of all beings, in the service of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.